When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need to advance your mortgage practice quickly and efficiently from Jen Duplessis. America's Mortgage Mastery Mentor with over 37 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings. Jen has been mentoring loan officers and realtors for over 15 years and speaking on stages across the globe. So settle in and get ready as Jen and her guests share their experience, passion, and strategies to help you crack the top producer code to reach new heights in your business. And now, here's your host, Jen Duplessis. Mortgage Mastery Mentor and Head Chicken Charge of Kinetic Spark Consulting. <laughs> hey everyone, it's Jen Duplessis. Welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. First, as I always say, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast and to share your feedback with me so that I can continue to bring great guests and great content as I've done for almost nine years now. Today, my special guest is Dan Habib. Now you're probably going, wait a minute, I kind of know that name. Well, Dan is Barry's son. And if you're part of MBS Highway, you know already know that, right? But if you're not, uh, you now know that, you know, Dan has been with uh, Barry for quite some time. Obviously, you've been there all your life, but he's been with uh, Barry for quite some time. He's the co-founder of MBS Highway. He's been with MBS. I think it's been nine years now that you've been with MBS Highway, 18 years in the mortgage business. He was a Morgan Stanley financial advisor beforehand. So this all just kind of runs hand in hand. Um, and also has been uh, named as one of the top 40 under 40 as mortgage professionals nationally. Um, and he's currently the executive vice president of MBS Highway. I abs and so welcome to the show, Dan. I just I'm loosely giving your bio because it's just inconsequential to the fact that you when everyone hears you, they're going to know that you have all this knowledge and, and wonderful stuff. So um, well, thanks for having me. It's, it's yeah, great to be with you. Yeah, it's kind of cool. And you know what I'm really excited about is that usually when you and I speak, uh, we're at a conference and I'm saying, hey, where's my link? <laughs> where's my something for my my coaching students, right? Because they get a special discount. And, I, and, I, uh, and I'm always going, hey, how are you? And it's very superficial. So I'm really excited that we have, you know, some time to, uh, you know, have some real strong conversation about what's going on in the market, what the future of mortgage lending and real estate looks like. You know, given the fact that uh, today, while we're recording, the uh, consumer price index came out a little bit lower, but still high. And I, I just want to get your take on what's going on in the market. What are you seeing? I obviously watch the markets all the time um, and really am following. I follow, well, I follow MBS Highway, but I also uh, follow the MBA and what they're predicting. And I think their predictions were a little more aggressive in the fact that they thought it's at 2Q and 3Q of this year, we would be at 5.1 as an average, you know, interest rate, and we're just not there yet. So they're a little off on their predictions. So um, 
just curious to see what happens. So before we get into all that, because we will, and that's what you talk about all day long, um, I just want to kind of talk about what it's like to be, because I always get asked this. Well, actually, I don't. My daughter gets asked this question because she's in the business now, right? She always wow. gets asked the question, what's it like to live under the wings of mama? Right. So what's it like to live under the wings of Barry, who's a dear friend as well? What's it like to live under his wings? Well, listen, it's been both great and challenging. Yes. And, and let, let me explain. So, you know, I grew up in the mortgage business, having a father like Barry, who was you know, one of the top mortgage producers in the country on a few occasions and, uh, you know, had his own mortgage company and then created Mortgage Market Guide, where yeah. he created the sales team there. And then now MBS Highway for about the last nine and a half years. So, listen, he's probably my best friend. He's also my mentor. So to uh, a very high degree, I consider myself extremely lucky to have a father like Barry because he's, yeah. you know, one of the most knowledgeable and respected in the mortgage and real estate space. And he's been such a great teacher and I think instrumental in my success professionally, but that doesn't come without its challenges. You know, he casts a very large shadow. He's such yeah. a big name and it's obviously some really big shoes to fill. So for a long time, you know, while I enjoyed that, one of the things that I found difficult was really creating my own name and yeah. trying to not be Barry Habib's son, yes. but to be As Dan Habib, did. right? As I just so, did. Yeah. So that was difficult. But, you know, I, I consider myself very lucky because I was afforded some great opportunities having a father like Barry. And, you know, I, I like to think now I've, I've done a pretty good job of, of trying to step out of that shadow and create my own name. And really, that's just through consistency and, and working hard and uh, picking up some more responsibilities, you know, with an MBS highway and also doing some professional speaking out there. So yeah. I would say overall, it's been fantastic, but certainly challenging. And listen, my father, uh, he, um, you know, he's always been tough on me, which I think is a good thing, you know, so, uh, you know, expects uh, greatness and, and uh, you know, excellence. And he's, he's quite a bit of a perfectionist, but uh, I love my dad. So. Yeah. Yeah. Use, I mean, that sounds like a broken record right there to me. <laughs> Because I've heard my daughter say it the same way. It's yeah. And, you know, it's funny because uh, so I want to know about the tutelage. You know, uh, she will come to me when she has to, <laughs> but not as a first option. She will, you know, she doesn't want to be a mini me. So she, she'll try to get her answer and then she'll finally kind of me go, okay, I've asked everybody and now I have to ask you, you know, it's kind of interesting as she tries to, you know, peel away from, from that as well. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, how do you find, uh, you know, cause I am talking about this relationship and it's not even, it's not just him. I'm talking about a father son relationship in the business, because as you know, my husband worked with me for 17 years. And then when I departed and retired out of lending, my daughter came in, you know, she got in the quicksand and, you know, she quickly started leading the team and my husband took the backseat again, which he's fine doing, but, um, you know, there is a dynamic that, ha and by the way, my son used to work for us too. And now he's, you know, a big options trader and stuff, but, um, you know, there's such a dynamic in trying to separate business from personal, personal from business all the time. How do you guys manage that? Well, um, I think that it's, it's kind of commingled, right? So, uh, yeah. you know, when, we're no always... balance. it's just, <laughs> we're... I mean, we, we get a chance to hang out uh, quite often, you know, we're, yeah. we're, he's in Florida half the year, but yeah. you know, when I see him here in the office, uh, you know, half the year, it's great. And, and we live very close to each other. So we, we get together a lot, um, you know, recreationally or, or outside of work, but 
you know, the conversation is, is oftentimes, you know, going back to work and such. So I, I don't yeah. know, uh, you know, if you would call us the most successful in separating those two things, but we, we're both very passionate about it. And, you know, I think we have a, a wonderful like relationship. No, yeah, exactly. sometimes it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. 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 I, well, I can tell you, you know, uh, the last time I was teaching Whitney, we were sitting on our boat and um, she wanted to have an explanation of uh, blended interest rates. I was talking about blended interest rates to right now. I am with a lot of my clients helping them understand what blended interest rates are because rates are so low. Everyone's coveting their low rate mortgage, but the bottom line is they're going to tap into their equity. And if they're going to covet that first mortgage, the next step is to tap into the equity through a home equity line or a second. Um, and then when that comes back to you as a refinance, a big refinance, you've got to be knowledgeable in the blended interest rates. And so I've been talking to my my students about this and she's like, what's that? Isn't it just an average? And so we learned, you know, I had to learn, but it's funny because we're sitting on the boat and I'm trying to draw it and I'm using my calculator yeah. on my phone. And I'm going, this is just ridiculous. And we're, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the market. Um, you know, obviously at the time that we're, we're doing this, you know, the consumer price index came out again today at, I think it was what, 8.5. I can't remember. Yes, 8.5. And yeah. the monthly reading was flat. So this is for yeah. the month of July as we're recording this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's good news because that means that the temperament is starting to, you know, settle down as like we're getting out of these rough waters and we're getting into some, perhaps some, you know, some more smooth waters for us. But what does it mean for the long haul? Because the feds have talked about raising rates. Maybe they won't now. Maybe they'll raise them just a little bit, but what is what are loan officers and real estate agents, what can they look forward to in the next quarter? Let's start yeah. there first. So first of all, for mortgage professionals, inflation is really the key driver of interest rates, right? So there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Fed has been hiking since March, and now they have the Fed funds rate, you know, in a range between two and a quarter and two and a half. And a lot of people that aren't in the know believe that interest rates have gone up because the Fed is hiking the Fed funds right. rate, but right. they are not one in the same. They're right. actually quite opposite where the Fed funds rate is an overnight rate that banks lend to one another. So mm -hmm. essentially a really short-term rate and a mortgage rate is, you know, a long-term rate, 30 years, uh, theoretically. Right. So uh, when the Fed is hiking, what they're trying to do is counteract the biggest problem that we face in the U S economy and really the global economy today, which is inflation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So inflation was just 9.1%. After today's report, now year over year, it's at eight and a half percent, but it's still extremely, extremely hot. And you guys are all feeling inflation, right? You go to the store, you go to the pump, food prices are much higher. So it literally erodes the purchasing power of your dollars. But it's also the biggest directionally impactor of mortgage rates, because, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, if I said to you, Jen, can I borrow one hundred thousand dollars? You might say, OK, but you're going to charge me a certain rate of interest. Yeah. So let's say you get a thousand dollars. Is that return that you get that's fixed every single month? Now, maybe you have a list of goods, go to the store, you can get everything on those goods. But in the background of the economy, inflation's going up. So a few months down the road, maybe you can only get three quarters of those things. So yeah. uh, inflation's eroding the buying power of the fixed return as the yeah. investor in that bond. So you can't do anything about the loan you gave me. That's fixed for 30 years. But Somebody sure else came can coming said, up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody else came to you and said, Hey, can I borrow, you know, yeah. can I borrow a, a loan from you for a hundred thousand dollars? You might say, okay, and agree, but you're going to do what you're going to charge a higher rate of interest in order to combat that faster pace of erosion due to inflation. So yeah. this is an oversimplified example, but when you see inflation rising, 
you see mortgage rates have to rise. And when inflation comes down and abates, you can see mortgage rates come down. So the Fed is trying to yeah. combat this inflation by hiking the Fed funds rate. And counterintuitively, that can actually be a good thing for mortgage rates if they are successful yeah. or if it's perceived that they are curbing inflation. Yeah, and I think I think that that's a, a really important point. And I love that you oversimplified it because we had a call not too long ago when the feds actually raised it, I think they raised it three quarters on the last, last yes. round. And, and, um, and I said, whoa, whoa, we need to stop and make sure that everyone understands what's going on because so many loan officers, you know, that are newer, let's just say they've been in the business like 15 years, all they know is low interest rates, mm -hmm. right? That's all they, that's all they've seen. And, um, sadly enough, very few, maybe three of some 40 people that were on that particular call, could actually say what the Fed funds is. I said, what's a Fed funds rate? They kept giving me the rate. And I go, no, what is the Fed funds rate, right? Yeah, well, it's not just them, right? So the media is out there. I know, and, and it's I scary. Saw, I saw so many prominent media stations yeah. that they said, Fed hikes 75 basis points. Even Housing Wire had something like this. Fed hikes 75 basis points. Here's what it means for your mortgage payment. And if you look back since the Fed's been hiking, right? And especially- it's always a dip. If you look the last few times, it's like really in June, it started hiking yeah. 75 basis points. If you look from June 15th to now, you can see what's happened with yields and with mortgage-backed security yeah. prices and yeah. interest rates have come down quite significantly from yeah. the, the peak that we saw in June. Yeah, I know it's crazy. And so this is where the reason I called this mortgage lending mastery is for you to become a master, not just at the product or the service, right? The, the conveyor belt that we have or selling to realtors and, and financial planners or guiding your clients. This is, this is part of it. You have to know the market in order to guide your clients. You just can't understand simply the rate. And so I love that we're having this, this conversation. So, so we're talking about, you know, obviously the inflationary um, piece of this and, and what we think is going to happen. So now, and I have another question, but I want to just end this out a little bit. What is your take on what you feel the feds will probably do at the next meeting. Cause I've seen the fed dots have changed dramatically by the way, yeah. <laughs> very, yes. very different. Yeah. So there's something called the fed futures out there, which mm -hmm. tries to handicap within the markets, what they think, the, mm -hmm. what they think the fed's going to do at the next meeting. Right. So yesterday the fed futures were showing a 76% chance of a 75 basis point hike at the September 21st meeting, which right. is their next meeting. After today's lower inflation number, it was cooler than expectations. They were expecting 8.7% year over year. We got 8.5. That has now gone down to 40%, which means that 60% of people out there now believe that we're going to see a 50 basis point hike. Yeah. Now, I certainly believe the Fed's going to be hiking. If I were to put a handicap on it, I would say I think they're probably going to do 50 basis points. However, it really depends on what happens from now till then, because until yeah. the September 21st meeting, we're going to get another jobs report, mm -hmm. and we're also going to get another inflation report. And speaking of jobs, that's something else I think that's interesting out there that we could discuss as well. Yeah, yeah. So jobs, uh, the jobs report, and and I think this is okay. So before we go to jobs, let's let's talk about because I do want to I want to ask, make sure that I'm asking this question, and make sure that that people understand um, inflation, <laughs> right? And I I and, and recession specifically recession, because there's a lot of ridiculous stuff out in the news. I mean, for eons, the definition of a recession has been a standard. Now, all of a sudden, it's a 
goofy standard, you know, it's very wonky. So we know what, well, I'm going to have you explain and I know what the definition is, but, but I'm going to have it, have you explain it and then, and then talk about what you think is going to happen because I know I love inflation. I mean, not inflation, keep saying that (laughs) recession. I love recessions because we know that during a recession, interest rates drop. That is correct. So bring it on, baby, bring it on. And my feeling is we're in it, but why don't you go ahead and explain um, the definition of recession and what your take is on what will happen with interest rates and maybe your take so, on the fake news. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the for, speaking to that, right, you had the White House, you had Janet Yellen and all yeah. these people out there Ugh. almost trying to explain, oh, this is not the definition of a recession. So here's what it is that everybody has known forever. Even I saw a really great image that somebody sent me in, in the FINRA uh, like textbook, right? Meaning yeah. When yeah. you study for your series seven and stuff, yeah, it right. says how many consecutive quarters of negative GDP is a recession? The <laughs> definition forever has been two consecutive quarters. Yeah. yeah. Now, well, it's not important- really and- negative. <laughs> so so you had negative 1.6% in the first quarter. You had negative right. nine tenths in the second quarter. But now you have people coming out and saying, well, that's not the definition from the referee in this case, which is the NBER or National Bureau of Economic Research. And what their definition states and many have said they've kind of changed this, right? But if you look on their on their side of their definition, it says that you need to have economic contraction with a certain amount of depth, duration, and diffusion, meaning you need to see a significant en- enough amount of economic contraction, a long enough amount, so not just like a little spurt of economic contraction, and it diffused widespread to the economy, not just in one sector. But it's just interesting to see how you know people are saying, oh, we're not in a recession. And one of the things they point to is the unemployment rate, which just yeah. dipped down the three and a half percent. But before we get to that, right, I wanted to share a chart with you because yeah. this will show you some empirical evidence of what really transpires throughout history. Right. So yeah. if you just take a look at this, this shows you that if you go back to 1947, every yeah. time you've seen two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, you have had a recession. Yeah. So if. If this is not going to be classified, this would be the first since 1947. <laughs> right. And it shows you the varying degrees right. of how much we've seen combined uh, decline. Yeah, it's it's crazy because, you know, and again, I, I'm telling my students, you're in a recession. Tell your clients this is good news because rates are going to drop. The challenge for most loan officers is that when they say rates are going to drop, their clients pull back and say, well, then I'll just wait until rates drop, right? But yeah. there's also appreciation to consider in the cost of waiting, right? And the pride of ownership and, and all the other pieces that go go with that as well. So, and I know that most people are, you know, talking about fixed rate loans versus arms. We can talk about that as well. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about the unemployment. So unemployment, you know, is pretty bad. And so now I, I heard on the news today and, I, you know, I won't say what way I swing, but it's just it, I I flip around so that I hear everything, so that I don't have just one opinion, but I have a multitudes of opinions, so that I can create my own. Um, and uh, you know, jokingly, they said, "Well, the fact that the borders are open is really good because we need to fill jobs." <laughs> I just went. Mm. So if you take a look at the jobs market, right? So first of all, it's important to note that this is a lagging indicator and it always has been. And there's been many recessions where the first few months of a recession, and it doesn't get classified until many months later, you actually see job growth increase, but you're still in a recession, right? And here's the thing too. The jobs report is a tricky report 
So there's two surveys within the jobs report. You have your business survey. That's where you get the house, the headline job creation yeah. number, which just showed 528,000 jobs created in the month of July. And it also is done by modeling birth death ratio of businesses, how many people were on payrolls during the sample week of the 12th. And then you have the household survey, which is a completely different survey. The data is collected differently. They phone call 60,000 households and they ask if they're employed or not. And that survey has its own job creation component. And that one showed much lesser of a job creation number, 179,000. But also that's where you have the unemployment rate from. And they, it's been like a tale of two reports the last several months. You know, if you look at the last several months, you've actually seen you know, a big amount of job creations in the BLS headline number and actually job losses in total in that household survey where the unemployment rate comes from. So you might say, well, why is the unemployment rate you know, stayed at 3.6% for four months and then come down to 3.5. Well, a big reason for it is a ton of people have been leaving the labor force. Yeah. You see the labor force participation rate at the lowest level in a year. And this report, it always intrigues me because they don't count a lot of people. So if you're discouraged and you don't look for work for the last four weeks, well, <laughs> they don't count you as unemployed or in the labor force. Right, right. And you know, there's about 6 million people just in that bucket that they're not counting, there's another lesser known unemployment rate figure out there that is really like your all-in unemployment rate. And that's at 6.7%, not at 3.5%. But there's other, there's other indicators, I think, that are a little bit better gauges of what's happening in real time. One of them is initial jobless claims. So if you get laid off from work, you get fired, well, you then go and file for an unemployment benefits right. for the first time. And this number is at the highest level it's been in nine months. It's been kind of just steadily increasing. Mm -hmm. If you look at job openings out there, well, job openings were at you know level above 11 million. Now they're down, you know, to like 10.7 million. We've lost about 1.2 million job openings over the last three months. And anecdotally, you see this everywhere, right? How many companies even in our industry? But well, I was going to say most of those would be in our industry, right? I mean, every time you turn around, somebody's laying off a team, a ha you know, a set of something. Yeah. But even Amazon's app, oh, yeah, I mean, Amazon. Walmart, you name it, right? So those numbers haven't hit the tape yet, in my opinion. But yeah. in the next few months, this lagging indicator will start to catch up. And I do believe you will start to see the unemployment rate move higher. And the other thing is, is not just the media, not just the Fed. I mean, Fed governors are out there saying this, Janet Yellen, Jerome Powell, everybody is saying, well, you can't have a recession because the unemployment rate is so low. But I just want to share one more chart with you because I think this is yeah. really important because this really showcases what happens and when recessions actually start. So recessions do not begin. And this is a little quote here. I can't see a recession with a 3.6% unemployment rate. This is Christopher okay. Waller, one of the Fed governors. Yeah. But if you take a look, oops, hold on one second here. This is a chart, the blue vertical yeah. line showing you recessions and the white line being the unemployment rate. Yeah. But if you look every single economic cycle, the unemployment rate doesn't the recession doesn't start when the unemployment rate's at its highest point. Right. It's when it's at its lowest point and then turns higher. Yeah. Lowest point turns higher. Lowest point turns higher. This happened in that short recession we saw yes. when the unemployment rate was at three and a half percent in 2020. Yeah. And yeah. then obviously it shot up huge because right. of COVID. Right. But here we are again. And the reason why this happens is because if economic activity starts to slow, one of the first things companies do, right? I mean, first of all, oh. unemployment rate's tight, labor market's tight. They pause in hiring, then they lay people off, and it has mm -hmm. a snowball effect. 
-hmm. because once you get laid off, you're going to change your spending behavior. You're not going to go to the movies, the store, right. you know, out to eat. And then those businesses that were relying on that, they have to lay people off. And then it shoots up quickly. But the point being here is that every time we see a recession, it's when the unemployment rate's at its low, not its high. So you can't use that as a reason as to why we're not in a recession or at least headed for one. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, there was a rush, in my opinion, there was a rush to hire after COVID mm -hmm. to get the world back on track, you know, and I think that there was probably an over, although it is funny, like an over hiring, but at the same time, and, and remember, we've got 4% of the market, you know, 4% of all employees who left the in, left their jobs and never returned right? Never return. And we, we don't know if they retired. We don't know, you know, there's a big piece of that, that is that they just retired or that they went into some other industry, but a lot of them became entrepreneurs and they're not being counted as unemployed because we also know that 75% of entrepreneurs make less than $58,000 a year. So they're not making a lot of money. They're not being included in this. So we have a lot, a lot of peripheral data that needs to be used. And this is why I think it's so important. And maybe you'll agree with me. So help me on this. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm not asking you to do it, but this is one of the things that I share all the time is listen to Barry, listen to Dan, listen to right winged and left right wing in the middle wing, watch, read everything, but then arrive at your own opinion to give to your client. I completely agree with you. And no matter who's portraying the data, right, the data is the data. So, you know, one of the things that I like to do is not just take the headlines for granted as gospel and really kind of dig into the reports deep myself, because a lot of times they're not giving you what the true report is in those media headlines out there, no matter what source it's coming from, whether it's left yeah. or right. You know, obviously some people might be talking their book a little bit, but, uh, you know, another interesting thing from that jobs report is that more than half the jobs were part-time jobs and yeah. more than half of them are double counting, meaning in that headline job creation number, if you're employed, it doesn't just count you once. If you have, let's say, maybe to make ends meet, you have to get a second or a third job. It's counting all of those as job yeah. creations, whereas the household server where you get the unemployment rate from does not do that. It counts you once. So you know, I think these numbers are not telling the true story in the jobs picture. And again, it's lagging. So I think that we will start to see this move higher in the coming months. And I think a lot more people will get on board with the fact that, hey, we're in a recession. And even the MBER, doesn't matter when they officially classify it. I think we're either in one or very shortly going to be entering one. And to your point, whenever we go into a recession, historically, you see interest rates decline because recessions are deflationary by nature and by definition. Yeah. So I do think that inflation will come down really start to come down more significantly towards the end of the year. And yeah, there's a couple of reasons for that. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of reasons for it, right? Number one, you have the comparisons get much tougher. So the inflation reports are rolling 12 month reports. So that means when we get, when we got the one this morning, as we're talking on August 10th, yeah. well, what happens is it replaced the July number right. from 2021. Right. So it now includes this one. Yeah, Just exactly. So if you keep shifting down, the next two months, we're not out of the woods yet because we're going to be replacing a reading of three tenths from last August and then four tenths mm -hmm. from last September. So you could still see some stuff happen depending on what happens with energy prices and such. But when you go farther out past that, when you're talking about the fourth quarter of this year, 
and then looking back. The comparisons get much tougher, but not only that, the Fed rate hikes, I think, will really start to bite the economy. And I think this is an important thing to understand because the Fed rate hikes, the markets can try to price in if the Fed's hiking 75, 50 basis points. But what's actually happening is, is they are trying to destroy the demand side of the economy. And when they do hike the Fed funds rate, while it doesn't directly impact mortgage rates, it impacts short-term rates. So your treasuries, anything attached to like SOFR, your short, your small business loans, your personal loans, your credit cards, your car loans. So that takes time to impact and kind of infiltrate into the economy, several months at least. And you will start to see those bite and kind of curb on economic activity as well as inflation. So by the fourth quarter, and the way I like to explain it is, is like, if I wasn't feeling well, Jen, and I was like, man, let me go get with my doctor and get some medicine. (laughs) Well, he might prescribe me some medicine, but I'm not going to take my first dose and then five minutes later be dancing on the tables and feeling great. It's going to take time for it to impact my immune system, much like the Fed rate hikes will take time. So I think we're going to see inflation start to really come down a bit more by the end of the year. I think we're going to be in a recession. And I think you're going to have a decline in interest rates that will get you back potentially with a four handle on it. And I think that's going to provide a great opportunity to refi all the loans that you're doing today. Yeah. So let's talk about that as well, because um, that was leading into what's happening now is that the conversations are, you know, get the get the loan, get the home, you know, the house that you have. And we know 50 percent of consumers that purchased in 2020 and 2021 are are have buyer's remorse of the home (laughs) for whatever reason. So we know people are angst to get out. So it's not even just a refi of the ones we've done. It's also a get out of what you're in because, you know, now the spread is smaller, right? We're hoping for that spread to be smaller. We know that purchase, this is the fourth best purchase market, you know, we've had in, in what, 20 years, you know, so everyone's singing gloom and doom and it's like, no, it's not. It's, it certainly isn't. And it's a prepping time for increased activity as people that are in the industry are here for the the money and then leave good riddance see you later leaving all the rest of us here to um always speak in terms as if i'm still in the business it's funny but leaving all the rest of us here uh you know to uh to be able to capitalize on that but what is the capitalization of that in your perspective? And this is, so this is truly what my question is, is that everyone is saying, hey, we'll just refinance. Don't worry, we'll just refinance. I'm suggesting that we talk about arms. If you're going to be refinancing, let's just re- get you an arm, get you a lower payment and refinance. Or if you like the fixed payment so much, go ahead and pay the fixed rate. Let's accelerate the, the um, depre or appreciation, you know, the payment and the balance on your loan. Let's de- let's accelerate that so that when you do refinance, you're in a lower LTV, you get the best of the best rates if that's what you want to do. But I want to get your take on this whole positioning of, you know, well, we'll just get a, a Band-Aid loan now and then we'll refinance you later. And how it, and also this is the little part that I want to talk about. I love how the market has decided that, points will be the new prepayment penalty without saying that? Yes. So great questions. So, you know, first of all, I completely am of the belief that we're going to see rates, you know, over the next six months that are lower than where they are today. Right. Mm -hmm. So one of the things my father always taught me is that you want to look at, and this makes a big difference between people that are really successful in the industry and people like you said, that are kind of just here to make some money and take, take advantage of some opportunity is that you need to not just look at the transaction 
kind of, you know, in, by itself. You need to look at it two transactions at a time. So how is this loan going to set up with the next transaction that we're going to be doing for you? And if you believe that rates are going to be coming down, it doesn't mean you shouldn't buy a home now because of some things you mentioned, right? We're still right. seeing appreciation at more modest levels, not depreciation. You also right. get amortization, yep. but you don't want to be paying all kinds of upfront costs now where possible. If you're paying yeah. points, and I know sometimes it can be difficult to not to get a zero point loan, but you're doing things yeah. like upfront MI, all these things are going to have a break even period that you're not going to yeah. be able to reach if we're refinancing you. And to your other point, I wouldn't be afraid of ours because you're not going to be holding on to this thing for five or seven or 10 years. We're going to be refinancing you much sooner. And in many cases, you could save half a percent, three quarters of a percent, one quarter, one percent. So it makes a ton of sense. And by the way, a lot of people don't realize it's a mathematical certainty in a lot of cases where it's going to be a better loan, not just for that time on the arm, right? So not yeah. if you're doing a five-year arm, it's probably going to be better closer to seven years or so than just five years. But once yeah. again, we're going to save you money now and then refinance you into a, you know, let's say a cheaper 30-year fixed rate than it's available today in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's super, you know, I, I just think my strategy has always been, what is our entrance holding and exit strategy? Entrance holding and exit. Because the holding strategy is how long you'll be in the home. During that strategy, you may refinance four times or two times or one time or never. Right. And, and I think that's super important for clients to, or for real estate loan officers to understand, right. Is that, um, there's a holding strategy you need to be looking at. So while you were saying, you know, there's two transactions, I think there's a multitude of them. There's what is our exit, our entrance strategy? What are we going to do while we're holding the property and the mortgage 50 times? The accordion loan, as I call it, right? You get a 30-year loan, you mush it in, you pull it out, you mush it in. And then what is your exit strategy? You know, all proceeds to a new house, some proceeds, invest, investment property. What is the exit strategy out of this house? And um, I think if we can keep that in line, it makes the discussion about paying points. That, and, and hey, if you're going to have to pay points on a purchase, that's good news. If it's a refi, it's a whole different story. <laughs> but if you're paying it on a purchase, that's good. That's great news because uh, you get the tax deduction. But um, my my concern, and this is where I'm I'm asking what your you know opinion is of this as an advisor, because I know that's what you all speak about. I know I speak about that. But as an advisor to your clients. Um, how do we get past the the point conversation, the the constant point, the points, and then the escalation clauses? Because we're still seeing them here. Yeah. So, so my area. You know, a lot of people are wondering why it's why it's more difficult now to get like a no point loan, and it really has to do with the investors out mm -hmm. there, right? Because yeah. I think people misuse the term like par rate, but if it was like a par loan, right? It's like okay, it's a five hundred thousand dollar loan, and then it gets sold for. $500,000, but there has to be some margin there for everybody to make money on this and thing. Right. So time. Yeah. Right. And time. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, this loan in a more realistic market would be, be or in, in reality would be selling for, I don't know, 510, 515,000. Right. And then they're paying a premium for that loan, the investor, and they make their money back with the yield, with the yeah. higher rate of interest. Right. Yeah. And that could take a few years to break even Now, The big problem out there is that we're not the only ones that are thinking that rates are going to come down, right? So these investors are also thinking so. So there's a big prepayment risk where, hey, I'm not going to be able to get my money back. Yeah. So it actually, while in one case, it's a bad thing. In another case, it's a good thing because it means that many other people out there are thinking that rates are going to come down as well. Yeah. So um, that's that what I love about it. Exactly. Yeah, it's, a, it's an absolute indicator. 
You know, mm-hmm. it's an absolute indicator of what is happening. So we had a conversation um, with my with my students, you know, about a month ago. And I said, they said, oh, these one point things. And I go, but that's good. That's a sign. That's a good sign for everything that's happening. And that was before the feds even raised, you know, rates by three quarters. And I said, that's that's always a good sign. But it is interesting. This is the first time in my 40 years in this four decades that I've seen points disguised as prepayment penalties. Mm-hmm. And I've been through the peaks and the valleys. You know what else is interesting? I hear about a lot of people balking at you know where rates are today, maybe around, I don't know, five and a half or, or somewhere in that neighborhood, Fine. right? Um, you know, the average interest rate over the last 40 years is 7%. Yes. And when my father was doing loans, at one point it was like 12 to 15% is where interest rates were. So we've seen very healthy and successful yeah, yeah, real estate yeah. environments at well, much higher rates. When I that. got in, when I got in, rates were 18 and a half. 18 and a half. 18 and okay. a half. And we had uh GPMs, right? Graduated payment mortgages and growing equity mortgages, right? Their initial NAGAM loan, the gems, the gems and the gypums. And those were starting at 14 and three quarters. And everyone thought, yes. Wow. All relative, right? All yeah, relative. And yeah, it is. And I have a rate sheet that I share with everyone from uh, April 1st of 1985, where we had finally broken below 10 on an one year arm at nine and seven eighths with three points. Nine wow. and seven eighths. I still have the rate sheet that cost me $500 to make because we didn't have computers. <laughs> right. That's crazy. Back in the donut days, right? The the donuts and rate sheets. And uh, yeah, and I go, you guys, you know, share this with your clients because relatively speaking, we are in a great position. We're still in a great position. We're not gonna, we're not in a bubble. We have we don't have the same, you know, statistics around, we don't have the same circumstances for a bubble. We're in a great position and we're gonna get back to normal. So what would you suggest to someone who is, you know, now in this predicament or not predicament, but in the in in our industry right now, they're a loan officer in the industry. They're hearing you say this, they're hearing me say things. They, they're going, okay, so I'm getting really good at this market piece. I'm really excited because I heard that, you know, now for the 15th time that rates are gonna go down, but now I understand it and I'm gonna really wor- work on it. What would you be doing as a loan officer to ensure your position in the next wave? Yeah, so I think it, this is like a challenging time compared to the last few years, right? Mm-hmm. But it's still a good environment. And if you look at you know absolute origination volume numbers, yes, they're down from 2020, 2021, but it's still like overall origination numbers, like like almost top three of the last 16 years. Yeah. So, yeah. Top so four. it's it's top still four. a lot of business to be had. However, um, there's more challenges, but whenever there's challenges, it presents a great opportunity to gain market share, right? Because yeah. you can do things that your competitors won't. So yeah. I would very much have a have a yearning for for education, but also to be a teacher in this. And yeah, you know, in sales in any relationship, I think one of the most important things is trust. And one of the best ways to build trust is simply with knowledge. So I would be providing a lot of value for my realtor partners, as well as getting out there and educating customers. And I think social media is a great avenue to gain gain business as well and, yeah. and to really showcase your expertise. But you know, those are some of the things that I would be doing. And you know, I would also be counteracting a lot of the negativity that we see out there in the media because yeah. the media is there for eyeballs and headlines. But there's so much out there that I think is currently scaring consumers about a housing bubble. Yeah, and people automatically they remember 
the housing bubble in 07, 08, and they remember the recession there. And now there's a lot of talk about a recession today. But I think people make the mistake of thinking that the recession of 08, 09 caused the housing bubble. It was actually kind of the opposite, right? The housing bubble brought us into a recession. And as you said, things are totally different now, not just with the quality of loans being done. It's not your fog up a mirror anymore, yeah. right? Much right. stricter underwriting guidelines. We just got CoreLogic's loan performance insights. It's yeah. like the healthiest and the lowest delinquencies in 23 years. People have record levels of equity, which they're going to protect before you know going into a foreclosure or short sale. But what I really look at is supply and demand, because like mm-hmm. in any market, that's going to determine price. And there's so many people out there calling for a crash. A crash would be like 20, 30 percent decline in home prices. Yeah, I don't see that happening. I mean, we have still near record low levels of inventory mm-hmm. and demand certainly is not what it was. But, but I it's still, still think enough. We, yes. It's still enough that you don't see any homes on the market. You know, I've it's seen still- it. In- I will say that I've seen an increase in open houses. Mm. You know, that that for me is always the telltale. Does the real estate agent have to sit in the house to try to get the house sold? Right. And I'm starting to see that more, although I would have been doing it anyway because it's still client acquisition. But, <laughs> you know, but I am seeing a little bit more of that, which means that some homes in different markets and different pockets and different price ranges are starting to stay on the on on the market a little longer. And again, that's because of interest rates and the fear for the clients. Well, I think also it has to do with listing your home kind of like in on this planet. Right. Because yeah. if you look at homes that are listed correctly, I mean, just look at the last National Association of Realtors existing home sales report. You know, there's a lot of talk about less demand, which there is and affordability issues, but the average time on market was 14 days, right? So if you have this <laughs> right. instead of seven or one, good, yeah. if you yeah. have this thing priced good yeah. and, you know, accurately, then it, it will fly still. But yeah. I think a lot of this price reductions we're seeing yeah. out there is people reducing the price on their listings down to earth. Yeah. Um, Chasing the market. What the home is more closely worth. Yeah, chasing the market. And I think some of that has to do with the greed, you know, the greed and fear index. That's an index that I I look at all the time is the greed and fear index. And very an indicator. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. And, and, uh, you know, I look at that, that, uh, you know, at least once a month just to see where, where the flavor is going. And now they put out a, a chart for it, which is so good because, because before they didn't have a chart for it and I couldn't compare, I was taking screenshots, but yeah, I think that that's changed somewhat. And, um, you know, I think that's really helping us as, as well. So, yeah, I love I love that, you know, it's like get out there. I call it edu selling, right? Mm-hmm. I'm educating and selling at the same time to everybody that I'm talking to. And I think that that's going to be a key indicator for longevity. You know, when we were when when um, uh, the pandemic started, I kept saying, be careful of short term gain for long term pain. And I have preached that for two and a half years now, and I will continue to preach that with my clients is. This short-term gain that you had, you know, I had the best year ever, yada, yada, yada. It came from the market. There's a long-term pain that's in there. And I'm trying to help circumvent that for my clients to shove that, but, you know, push that back and say, it doesn't have to be as long-term if you are knowledgeable in this market. A hundred percent. And, you know, I want to be clear. I do see things slowing, right? But are we going to see 20% appreciation? No. But I want, but I think people don't realize, and the media certainly doesn't get this. I see them talking about the biggest price declines we've seen in a decade, right? And and what they're pointing to is that the year-over-year appreciation number 
went from 20% to 17%. Now, that doesn't mean the monthly number, by the way, was up 1.5%, right? So is a big distinction between home price appreciation slowing and home prices actually going down in value, right? right? So so I think we're going to see a much healthier moderation of appreciation where it's going to be mid single digits, right? So let's just say it's going to be 4%. Four percent. Right, I was going to say like three point eight. Right. <laughs> so I, I like it's not twenty percent, but it's let's say it's four percent over the next twelve months. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to educate your customers to the concept of leverage because yeah. listen, if you're going to be living somewhere, shelter, you have three options: you can rent, you can buy, or you can be like Will Farrell and Step Brothers and be living at your parents' house till you're forty. Right. right. So rents are going up double digits. And they will mm-hmm. continue to do so. Renewals can go mm-hmm. up every year. Your mortgage payment is going to be a majority of fixed, right? And you know, not only that, but I just think that if you look at four percent appreciation, if you buy a four hundred thousand dollar home, yeah, that means that you're let's say you put ten percent down, kind of standard yeah. down yeah. payment, right? So yeah. you know, you're putting forty thousand down, and four percent appreciation means you gain sixteen thousand dollars in twelve months. Yeah. So what is that relative to your investment? It's a 40% rate of return. And that's the beauty of leverage, which I think a lot of people don't understand. Yeah. And right now we don't have opportunity cost loss because there's not much being paid in a regular account. If that's where you're keeping your money, there's not an opportunity cost loss. There's an opportunity cost gain in buying a home and it makes, you know, complete sense. And that's something that I've been sharing with my daughter to share, you know, in the market. It's like, you got to talk about opportunity cost. Stop hoarding this money. That's not doing anything for you because you're getting 0.06% interest from, uh, from a savings. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Mine came. I just got an announcement from mine. They're like, we're raising your, your savings account to 1.7. I was like, woo, but so, I don't have any money. Negatively in the yielding. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Well, it's been fantastic, Dan. Thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom with us and sharing some stats with us. I love talking this stuff because, you know, I'm like knee deep in it myself. I love being an advisor, you know, for a, for a loan. So I think that this is, you know, right up my alley. And hopefully those of you that are listening and you're going, wait a minute, maybe this is too much for me because you're newer then you know, re-record this. I mean, re-listen to this and, um, do a transcription and take out some of the stats and start listening to them and using them in your conversations with your clients. So Dan, I want to ask you, what, what is the one thing that you'd like to leave us with? It can be um, a book, a quote, a mantra, an idea. What would you like to leave our listeners with? Okay. I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. A story. My father told me, okay? okay. And it's a motivational story and it has to do with how, listen, even though we're facing some challenges now, a lot of times the limits that we put on ourselves, the limits that we have in life are limits that we are self-imposed that we put Mm -hmm. on ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, back before 1954, it was considered impossible to run a mile in under four minutes. So not just, you know, in the sports world, but literally physicians said that it was physically impossible to run a mile in under four minutes. Now in 1954, you had a gentleman by the name of Roger Bannister, Mm-hmm. who said, you know what, I don't care about what people say. And he went and he broke the four minute mile mark. Now, what was really amazing to me about this story is that once other people saw that it was capable of being done, that next year, several other runners went and seven, broke the four minute mile mark. Seven. I'm glad <laughs> yeah. that you had that number, right? Yeah, so seven, seven broke it seven broke the it. next year. Yeah. So what that just shows you is, is that 
you know, oftentimes the limits that we place on our, uh, that we have in life are limits that we put on ourselves. So, you know, set your goals high, you know, dream big, but work hard, obviously. And, um, you know, you'll be really successful in this market. And then the second, the, the last thing I wanted to just add is, is that, you know, Jen, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It was an honor and I hope that it added value to the listeners, but we do have a special relationship. If you want to get information like we talked about today on a daily basis, and it's with MBS Highway, and I'll just share a slide with you really quick, but normally it's 200 bucks a month or $2,000 a year, you know, because of the relationship with Jen, you guys have access to this for 129 a month or 1299 a year. And if you want to sign up, you can either email my assistant, Christine, if you have any questions or you want her to get you set up or Jen, there is a code um, that we have set up with you. Yeah, we'll have the link there. We'll also have the link for Christine. It's Christine with a C-H. So C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E at mbshighway.com. You can just email her and say, Jen's discount. And they know who I am. So it'll work. <laughs> it'll work. I promise it will. I promise it will. So we have your links as well. So people can follow you on social media and all of that. And I, you know, again, I just want to say thank you so much and be sure to say hi to Barry for me. I have, actually, I tried to, he was going to be in, I think he was in Vegas or something. And I said, Hey, I'm going to be there too, but we couldn't connect for dinner. We were going to try to connect for dinner. So I haven't had a chance to talk to him lately, but say hi to him for me, if you well, would. Yeah. And, and I love what you're doing. Congratulations. I I just wish you all the success in the world. It will continue to happen. I know it will for you. It's fantastic. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on the, on the show. Thanks so much. Thank you. And so everybody, please take a minute. Just use your finger, scroll down to the bottom of your, of your screen, listening to this podcast and write us a great five-star review and give us some really wonderful comments about what you loved about uh, Dan's conversation, what he had to say, um, because that is great feedback for him as well. It's fe great feedback for me. Please don't forget to go to Facebook and look for Mortgage Lending Mastery and join our group, be part of our our group. We have some special things that are coming out in November because my birthday's on Thanksgiving this year. So we're going to be doing a special, um, special thing for everybody who's in that group. So the more people we can get in that group, the better. And then don't forget to follow us and subscribe to my YouTube channel so you can watch and see the slides that uh, Dan has shared with us today. Uh, you'll want to grab copies of them and, and do screenshots. So thank you again for taking time out of your busy day to listen to Mortgage Lending Mastery. And Dan, again, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Be sure to subscribe to hear more sales tips, ideas, strategies, and tactics to help you with your personal and professional growth to multiply your results in record time. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to give us a rating and review so we can continue to bring you the best content possible. Wanting more beyond the podcast? Join our Mortgage Lending Mastery membership community where you will find extended interviews with our favorite guests weekly training, tips, and insider secrets, fireside chats with Jen, free content, meet, share, and collaborate with other members, and so much more. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about this exclusive content. Mortgage Lending Mastery is an industry syndicate charter podcast. Industry Syndicate is the first podcast network specifically for the mortgage and real estate industries. Get the Industry Syndicate app in the App Store or Google Play today.